Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to episode number 82 of the Basketball Card Podcast. I'm your host, Adam. You can reach me at the real 27 guy on Instagram. Uh, today's episode is brought to, you, brought to you by PWCC. PWCC has nearly 12,000 items, 12,000 uh, auctions ending this Sunday, over 1,400 of which are basketball. A Steve Nash, PMG Red, a Kevin Durant, exquisite numbers, rookie pieces, uh, excuse me, number pieces, a De- Dennis Rodman, Kaboom Gold, all end this Sunday at the PWCC weekly auction. I want to start tonight or today by shouting out my friends Jeremy Lee and Karn Rye, who I um, stayed up with late to watch the end of the premiere auction last night, an insane premiere auction last night. Uh, the story of the night was probably the, the Michael Jordan autographed rookie card in gold ink, BGS 7 with 8 autograph that sold for $144,000. Really shattering expectations. A lot of people were really excited about that, and that was a fun show. Um, we had several really interesting, uh, really interesting conversations on the show, and it made me feel really like, okay, I need to, I need to like condense some of these things because some of the conversations were after the show had stopped recording. I need to condense some of those things here. And, um, and, and there were several really interesting conversations and questions that we had as we, as we spoke. So today we're going to hit in our three segments, each of the following three things. One, um, the first, the first question is like related to how we view inserts of the nineties and how we view autograph and memorabilia cards from the exquisite era differently and whether we always will. Um, number two, we're going to have a conversation about what cards from the Panini era really matter. And then lastly, we're going to ask if there's always a corollary to the 90s. So um, let's jump right in. So this first question is one that we, I feel like we were on really different sides. Uh, Jeremy and Card, Card were on one side and I was on the other side. And really, the conversation's all about semantics and how we think about words. So the question that was really posed was, that really started it all was this question around like what insert cards actually matter and specifically if you think about um, the decade following the 90s like what insert cards from that era really matter and the thing that I think we all realized is that when you're talking about pure inserts there's nothing really since the 90s that people really consider iconic that are true insert cards we talk about a true insert card what we're saying is like there are, um, there's two different definitions for insert. There's the definition of insert where it's just anything that's not a base card. And so that includes parallels. And then there's sort of this, this other one that's like a, a true insert card that doesn't lump in parallels, which just means cards that are outside of the base set that come in every so many packs. Um, and when you think about the 90s, and we think about like the iconic inserts, um, I asked I asked the guys after this show, I said, what do you think are the, the three most iconic insert cards of all time? And the names Playmakers Theater and Jambalaya immediately came out. And then after that, it actually got a lot more difficult. I think Scoring Kings is clearly there in the top three as well. But after those top three, there's really not another another name. There are parallels that are obviously even far more iconic than those inserts. Cards like the PMG the essential credentials and the rubies 
But as far as pure inserts go, there's not a lot. And so the question that we really started asking was, okay, from the decade of the 2000s, the cards that are most sought after are the exquisite patch auto, memorabilia auto, and auto cards. And um, you know, are those, can those be considered inserts? And we both really dug in on our different different takes, but really on like from really this is just a semantics thing. I think in the end we all agreed with each other, but it, it, at the risk of um, representing them the wrong way, Jeremy and Karn both really felt strongly that we shouldn't think about them like inserts because insert cards are cards that are one in, in a lot of packs. Um, you know, they're artistic type cards, and and Jeremy kept pointing out. Autograph patch cards are just not considered inserts. They're not of the same lineage. They're not thought of the same way. They're they're just thought of totally separately. And I I get that. I think that's true. On my side of the table, though, my argument was that as time passes, we think about important cards um, from an era as though they were... Um, We think about important cards from an era, less about what percentage, like what number of packs they came out of, but more like what, how rare the cards are. And so when you look at the decade following the 90s, the 2000s, the most important cards that came out during that era, um, you've got the gold cards, right? Like the gold chrome refractors, you've got the superfractors, and you've got the exquisite cards. The exquisite RPA of LeBron James is, is the card of the decade. The second card of the decade for a basketball card might be the 2008 Topps, Topps Chrome Kobe Bryant with LeBron James on it. Um, the, in that, and that's, that's maybe, you know, the, the other thing that has an argument there are all of the early exquisite cards like the limited logos LeBron, the limited logos... Um, Michael Jordan, some of the number pieces set, some of those things are really beloved, but they're more niche because they're like smaller quantities. The reason that I go to 08 Chrome um, and like LeBron Chromes and Kobe Chromes and those in general is just that they're so highly collected throughout the whole of the decade. You get to 2009 and then you get to the Panini era and, and then I think of that sort of in a different conversation. We talk about the Steph. I think if you included that, the Steph would probably be the second most important card from, from the decade after the LeBron. I'm sort of doing this off the top of my head. But as you think about that, none of those cards are like traditional insert cards. The insert, as we know it, is like a word that is not really, it's not, people keep saying things like, are downtown and kaboom and color blasts, are those going to be like the inserts of the era? But the thing that I think we discovered last night as we talked about it is like, there hasn't really been an insert of an era since, since the 90s. And I think that's super interesting. So, um, you know, my take on the, in this, and, and this is, remember, this section is like a, a conversation about inserts. Um, my, here's my take. When, as, it, as it pertains to autograph patch cards, we used to talk about autograph patch cards more because of what, more because of like the autograph and the size of the patch than we care about now. Those things are still essential and they're still really important and they still add to the aesthetics. Um, but the thing that, that I was arguing and 
um, one of the one of the people who was posting in the in the um, in the chat pointed this out, and I think I think this is the way to think about it. What I was talking about from my perspective on inserts is that I think about the value of an insert being about its brand equity, like the value of the brand. The jambalaya is worth what it is, not just because it was a super rare pull, but at this point because of the brand that jambalaya has itself. It unto itself, jambalaya, has a tremendous brand that's highly collected by many people and it has created value because it's beloved period. And in that same way, like the parallel, the PMG does the same thing. Um, the prism brand does the same thing. And the exquisite brand does the same thing in particular, certain inserts within the exquisite brand. See, I just use the word inserts like the limited logos. We don't think about them the same way as like the nineties inserts because they weren't one in a ton of packs. Sometimes they were almost like one per pack, but like, as we get away from that era, I think, think this, this is this is the point that I'm trying to get at autographed patch cards become more than just an autographed patch card they take on the importance of their brand and um, and the reason that I think that's essential is that we we can't for for the cards to sort of take a different place in people's hearts they have to they have to be viewed more as art, more as cards, and less as like memorabilia. And the, the thing is that this is 100% already happening. Um, I've got a couple of examples of this. So I own a 2004 SP Authentic Kobe Bryant autograph patch. That year they did a jersey card number to like 50, an autograph or number to like 100, a jersey autograph number to like 50, and then a patch autograph number to 10. Patch autograph was a thicker card, obviously included a better piece of the uniform, um, but it has a whole different, you know, a whole different taxonomy on the card. It's number 10, it's a huge card. That same year, Exquisite did the number pieces set. It has a patch that's about the same size as mine and an autograph and the card itself, they, they're, they're very similar in terms of, of aesthetics. You could probably make the case that the Exquisite's a little bit nicer, but it's not like light years nicer. My card is probably worth somewhere between five and $10,000. The exquisite um, number pieces out of eight, there's two fewer, so it's a little bit rare, but it's worth legitimately a hundred grand, <laughs> right? Like it's worth 20 times, 10 to 20 times what my card's worth. And that's because of the brand. That's because of brand equity. And to me, that is what makes them a little bit, just a little bit, like an insert card. We're looking at the number pieces as an elite insert card of Kobe Bryant. Now I get it, it has a patch and an autograph on it. I get it, I get it, I get it. I get that it's different, I get it. And I get that we might not ever call them inserts, but from my perspective, that tendency to be worth more because of the brand itself is crucial to understanding the value of the card. And that's a card guy thing to say, right? It's not just about the autograph. It's not just about the patch. It's about the, the importance of that card, importance, significance of that card in the whole scheme of the card landscape. And for that reason, I would argue, and this is again me speaking, I would argue that these autograph patches and these, these pieces from the 2000s, from that decade, that they are actually the best inserts of the era. We may never think of them that way, but as we go away from that era, 
Um, you know, with Jordan, we didn't have the same thing. In the 90s, when he was an active player, we didn't have exquisite autograph patches to choose from, right? We didn't. We only had the inserts. And then it just so happened that they put such love into the inserts and creating them what they were that now we can look back at them and we can say that was like card perfection. And it will always feel like card perfection. And I don't think anything will ever touch it. But in the 2000s, we don't have that. Those great inserts don't exist. What does exist from that era is the best autograph patch cards that had ever been made to that point. And so I think as we look back, we'll look back at those cards more as artwork, despite the fact that they're autographs and patches, we'll think about them in the same, not in the exact same way as the 90s, but at like the highest level as we do with the 90s inserts. And with that said, we will go to our first break. You've probably heard about Alt, but have you registered for their auction yet? Twice a month, Alt features its Liquid Auctions event, which caters to collectors of all kinds. The platform is super easy to use, connects to your bank in minutes, and provides a super fun bidding experience. What are you waiting for? Register on Alt XYZ today. Okay, so I hope that, I hope that, that first section was, was good for you guys. Um, this was all part of a broader conversation. I've tried to organize my thoughts, and, and you, if you've listened to me for a long time, you probably know I'm not great at that, but doing my best here. Um, the, that really leads to this sort of second idea, which is what cards from the Panini era actually matter? It's really like a connected conversation because instead of just asking the question, which parallel from the era matters or which insert or which rookies or which, the question of like, which cards from the era really matter? And this is a, this is a conversation that the three of us had last night. And I just like pose the question, Okay, if you had to, if you had to like, and this is what I would pose to all of you, and this is what I think you should ask yourself right now, if you're somebody who wants to be thinking not just with your heart, not just collecting just what you like, but also wanting to collect something that goes up in value, right? Because, and this is something I've always said, I think every card you buy, you want to be thinking with both your head and your heart. You don't want to just buy cards just because you think they're going to go up in value. And you don't want to just buy cards just because you love them. You want the perfect card is a card that you go, that card is a card that I think is going to increase in value from where it is today, and I love the card. To me, that's how I collect at least, and um, you know, take it for what it's worth. It might be wrong, but when we, when we ask the question, if you had to like, okay, if you had to like gun to your head 20 years from now, what cards from the Panini era would you buy today that you would then hold for that period? For ten year, for five years, for ten years, and for twenty years, and I think the most interesting ones are ten years and twenty years. I'm a long term guy. Yeah, maybe I'm maybe I'm a little bit older, but I'm still a long term guy. I I don't want to buy something that I'm going to just keep for a little while. I want to buy something that I'm going to keep for a long time. So what really matters? Well, what's interesting is you can go back and you can look from twenty years ago. What really mattered back then? And ironically, twenty years ago. The LeBron James Exquisite Rookie came out. And it's really easy to say, well, exquisite cards really matter. Here is why I say that's interesting. Not all exquisite cards matter. You can go back to 2003, even, that iconic of iconic rookie year, rookie year of you know all those great players. There are certainly cards that are worth a lot of money from that set, you know, not the least of which is LeBron, Carmelo, Wade. But after you get through, like, just a few guys, you get to like the more common rookies, guys, you can get into some cards that are really cheap. <laughs> Even though there's only 225 of them, a lot of those cards are not worth a lot of money. Um, now combine that idea with the idea that like 
just a few years before that, there were parallels of rubies and precious metal gems and these parallels that like even really common players so rarely pop up even though they're worth so much. And a lot of that has to do with like uh, set, set collectors, right? Why am, I, why am I saying all this? Well, the question is what cards from the era matter? And I think it's important to, to define that phrase. Like clearly individual cards are going to matter. Clearly the Giannis NTRPA will matter. Clearly the Steph NTRPA will matter. In fact, the Steph NTRPA is pretty easily the card of the Panini era. It is. So, um, you know, but but in that, that same year, you got like a Tyler Hansbrough rookie, right, out of NT. You got the Eric Maynard uh, NT RPA. And those, I think, go the same way as like the Mikko Pietris and the Sasha Pavlovich from 2003, exquisite. Not all patch autos will matter in the long term. The best players will, but not all of them will. But is there a corollary... And this will be the, the section section three of this conversation about if there always is a corollary to the 90s. Is there a corollary to the 90s today? If we look back at the Panini era, and the reason that we have to look back at the Panini era right now, today, or the reason that we should, we don't have to. We can ignore it and pretend that it's not going to change. But you know, we were in this situation 13 years ago when we lost Upper Deck and Tops in favor of Panini. The smartest people at that point asked the question, which of these cards are going to matter in the long term? Which of the cards do I need to prioritize getting now? And how do I go about getting them? Frankly, a lot of us don't even care because we're still like looking before the Panini era. Um, you know, For the most part, I don't buy a lot of stuff from the era. And, and a lot of the stuff from the Panini era that I really want, I already own. But having said that, I'm very tempted still to sort of like really dive in and say, okay, what else really matters from the era? So I asked this question yesterday, yesterday to these guys, right? Which, which of, which cards from the last five, 10 and 20 years, or which of the cards from the Panini era are going to matter in five, 10 and 20 years? And as I asked this question, everybody just sort of immediately said, well, there's the prism gold. And we didn't qualify that with years. We didn't say just 2012. We just said the prism gold. And nobody even, like, there was, like, not even a conversation to be had. It was so far and away the number one thing that we were just like, okay, there's that. And then the conversation that I think is more interesting moved to what else is there. Um, but, again, I'm not, talk I'm not talking about individual cards. Individual cards specific high-end rookies like like th those are that's going to depend on which players blow up that's player dependent right oh three through oh three exquisite for the rookie cards is player is contingent on the player the base cards that are not rookies from oh three exquisite are, are 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 pretty valuable too but still those are player contingent right kevin garnett is worth a lot more than i don't know nick collison um, who's a base card in, in 03. Um, you know, it, those are, those are, and, and every, every card to a certain extent is player contingent, but there are cards that are like, that are worth a lot just because of the set they're in. Um, the example here, going back to the nineties real quick, and then I'll, and then I'll come back. Sorry, I keep going on these tangents, but I want to, I wanted to say this real quick. So I saw a 97 rookie from P, from the PMG championship set that sold, a few months ago, sold on ComC, and I, I couldn't even remember this guy's name. I think his name was Chris Crawford, or Call not Callahan, <laughs> but Chris something. And I was like, man, I've never heard of this guy. I didn't even realize he was in the set. Card sold for almost a grand. 
There's 50 of them. Cards still almost sold for a grand because of what the set is, right? And so does that exist today in Panini? And all of us looked around at, the, looked around at each other in this group and we all said Prism Gold, but what else? The next things that we all went to were really unclear. Um, one person said the Kaboom Golds. I sat there and I thought about it for a while and I don't think that's wrong. There just aren't a lot of like set sets where you're like that thing in the long term is really going to matter. The first year of Kaboom, Boom Golds, obviously like the big time auto patches of, you know, like the immaculate jumbo auto patches of stars that are in their active playing days. The flawless autograph patches of stars that are in their active playing days. The auto patches like exquisite from a, a decade and a half before, like it has its own, it's sort of its own animal. Um, the other thing that came to me real quick, not real quick, sort of down the line was what about base cards? The base cards of the era, the really rare ones, are, are a lot rarer than they were in previous eras, right? We have base sets that are super low numbered. Um, the, the, the one that immediately comes to mind is Flawless. From 2012 to today, for over a decade, we've had a base set that's numbered to 20 or 25, with even some cards within the set that are short printed beyond that. The LeBron 2012 Flawless card... Like the Kobe 2012 Flawless card, I'm pretty confident those are really going to matter in the long term. Um, but having said that, so are all of the star cards, right? Like Steph, LeBron, Kobe, those guys in active, you know, playing days cards, I think are always going to really matter because they're so beloved and so, because they're so collected. The question, um, that's not the question that I'm asking. The question that I'm getting at is which sets and things will matter sort of regardless of player, because of the cards, right? Because of what they are. And this goes back to that insert conversation that we had before. Which cards are gonna matter because of the card, not just because of the player? And that's where we got into like the gold prisms. Um, and that's where I would also get into some of those, those base cards. Like I'm kicking myself on the 2012 Flawless stuff because I don't own a single card from that base set, not one. Um, I've tried a couple times at a few of them, but I, I feel like that's a thing. Um, I just sold all my gala cards except for the Kobe from 2014. And I think that's another one that just is going to matter in the long term. The original NT base set from 09, the original Immaculate base set from 2012. Um, these are serial numbered, really nice, really nice um, base cards and at this point, they're very hard to find. I'm confident that those things will matter um, to set collectors and will matter regardless of who the player is, but especially be important for the big stars. So I hope that sort of makes sense. I know my thoughts are really all over the place there, but for me, those are the cards from the Panini era that will really matter. We don't know if the Panini era is over, but if it is, I think it's an important question and it's worth looking around and asking which of these cards are going to be highly collected 5, 10, and 20 years from now. I suspect most of you have been on MC Sports Cards items on eBay. At nearly 60,000 positive feedback, they're one of the biggest consignment companies on eBay. 
What you might not know is that they've started a focus auction for 1K and over items that end Monday nights, and they call it MC Mondays. Dozens of huge cards end on Monday, all at open auction. You could check out the items by searching by seller and going to MC underscore sports cards today. Okay, last part of the conversation. Is there always a corollary to the 90s? And the answer here is obviously no. We want there to be. We want, we want to compare things always to the gray era, but they don't always, always look the same. Um, one of the questions that we, we asked last night was, how do you think about parallels and how do you think about inserts from the 90s? And it's clear that a lot of people really just lump them all together, right? Slam Bams, Jambalaya, and PMGs all go in the same conversation for a lot of people. And not for everybody, but for a lot of people. Um, I do think that has changed. I do, because although we look back and we say, oh, those are all inserts, right? We just lump the parallels into the inserts and use that taxonomy, like parallels are a form of insert, so we're just going to look at them the same way. I think that now today it is different, because when we think about parallels today, I think the first parallels you think about are the prism silver and the prism gold, period, end of story. Um, the um, We didn't even talk about, in the last section, by the way, the number of like like prism things, that matter. I think the other thing that's really clear in that conversation is that prism matters, right? You can say it's crazy that it's like way more important than optic or select or whatever. But to me, that doesn't feel like something that's changing. It feels like, like the divide there is widening. The brand of prism is, is something that just matters more than it ever has. And so it's, it's less about just being a shiny card and more about being like the important shiny card. Okay. We're done with that conversation. Let's come back to this one. So a gold or a silver prism card to date, I don't think is viewed like an insert. I think it's straight up viewed like a parallel. And I think it's because a lot of the parallels are like color-based that people just think about them like parallels. They're so close to the base set and and they're just they're thought of that immediately. Whereas the inserts, when I say insert, you think of you think of kaboom and downtown and color blast and some of those types of things. And so I think that that's interesting because the the 90s have sort of melted together maybe this era will too but i don't think it will i think as we look back we'll realize how many colors there were and how how much of the color stuff just sort of blends together we'll pick some of the colors that really matter i think most of what matters will be based on rarity and what came first um like people care about rookie cards i think they care about which inserts and which things came first so I haven't thought a lot about like which inserts you know I, I want to collect um, from the era, but if I was to collect any, you can bet they're from 2012 or beforehand. 2012 isn't the first year of Panini, but it's the first year that's really interesting to me because you get you get not only Prism, but you get um, Flawless and you get Immaculate for the first time, and those are three of the four best Prism brands. Um, there's other great cards that have come out since then. I love Noir; it's one of my favorite sets. But it doesn't have the brand equity that those other ones do. And maybe it will someday. Um, maybe it will just based on aesthetics and things. But but it's later on. It kind of feels more like UD Black to me than it does Ultimate Collection um, or it does and then Exquisite. And so that's a corollary back to the, you know, back to the 2000s. Um, but the but is there always a corollary? Is there always a connection to the 90s? No, and I don't think it's I don't think we're we'll definitely repeat ourselves. Maybe it'll be a self-fulfilling prophecy and the powers that be will talk about it enough that it will just sort of, 
it will be the same as the 90s was, but I don't think so. I, I do think that we'll always view this era as an era of parallels and the inserts will be thought of as different. And maybe a time will come where people will be like, there's so many parallels out here. There's so many different colors and things. I just want to focus on the inserts. And maybe it'll be the inserts that really take off in the end. Um, and then, you know, going back to the base cards, the base cards of the era, the best base cards of the Panini era, they're all uber rare, crazy rare base cards. I put together a set of base cards where there's 10. There's 10 of each card in existence, right? Um, Flawless is numbered to 20. Gala rookies are numbered to eight, and the rest of the set from 2014 is numbered to 79, and from 2015 is numbered to 99. Immaculates to 99. Um, National Treasures is to 99. National Treasures is super interesting because it's there at the very beginning of the Panini era, even before those 2012 sets. Um, you know, in that way, it's more interesting than 2003 Exquisite is because it's like, it's a rarer base set. The RPAs are all out of 99, and it represents the beginning of, of an era, right? Upper Deck started in 91. Exquisite started 13 years later in 2003. Panini started in 2009, and so did National Treasures. So, you know, when I think about National Treasures as a whole, I know I talked about earlier, like the RPA is not really mattering um, except for the important players. I still feel like that's true, but... Would it shock me if there was a con contingent of, of like high-end collectors along the way that were like, you know what, this set really matters. I want to put together this whole set. I want to have PSA, can you, I mean, you can imagine, I want to have a PSA 10 of every card in the 2009 NT set. Could I see that happening? Yes, absolutely. Um, could they do the same thing for 2012 Prism? They already are, right? Um, you know, th those things, that's a different way to think about it than, than the 90s, though. Um, and that's a, that's a different corollary. And although people are going to look at the 90s and say, I think I want to just try to recreate what we did there. I, I think I want to try to like, learn what happened there. I do think that the, that the big-time collectors that, that sort of figure out what they want over the course of the next 10 or 15 years, I don't think they'll be thinking as much about what happened in the 90s. There will be some that did. But I think that they'll be thinking about what they like. And which cards, and this is what it comes down to, and this is what Jeremy said last night, and I think he was spot on. I think the real question is what is important? It's what is significant. And I think you can tell that right now in a lot of ways, but you won't be able to tell it in all ways until, you know, as, until the years go by. But if you can, if you can like sort of like evaluate the whole of the landscape and feel your way through it now, I do think there's a big prize to be had. And that is that, you know, you can, you can predict the stuff that's going to increase in value in some ways, not all the time, but in some ways, and you can get into cards that later you wouldn't be able to get into because they're going to soar in value. And again, I think that's across base insert parallel that's across everything. And, um, you know, we've talked about a lot of things in this episode, but, but I've certainly not hit many of the things that that will happen with. And maybe some of the things that I have hit that won't happen to, um, but for you, what I think you should do is you should like open your eyes, study, figure out which things are really important in the long term and go find those things where, while they're undervalued. Um, because if it really is the end of the Panini era, I promise you, people will look back and they will look back with like a certain reverence. I know that sounds insane because people talk badly about Panini all the time, but guys, I was there in 2009. I watched people do the same thing about Upper Deck and Tops. I heard people talk about how bad products were that now are revered and beloved. And uh, it's the exact same thing.
today. Panini has done not just like a so-so job or a good job. Panini has crushed it. I mean it. They've crushed it. They've, messed, they've made some of the best cards of all time. The only thing that they can't touch, in my humble opinion, is the 90s inserts. They've never been able to create the artistic, fantastic designs of the 90s inserts. But as far as like their best-looking patch autos go, they absolutely rival Exquisite. Sorry, guys. I believe that's true. As far as their like best-looking Chrome cards, sorry. I like them just as much as anything that was created back in the 90s or in the 2000s. Um, you could argue that there, that there's like better photography in the late 2000s Chrome, and I think that's probably true. You could probably give Panini a little bit of a hard time for that, but like I feel like we're picking nits at that point. Like Panini has absolutely crushed it, and so as we move away from this era, assuming that we are, and it it becomes a canon. The Panini era is like a canon of of cards from 2009 to 2023, and within that era. There are cards that really are not going to matter, and there are cards that really are going to matter. I should have led with that idea because that's really like that's that's what this whole episode is about. And 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 hopefully, as you've listened, you're you're sort of gotten your juices flowing as far as like, okay, what do I want to do? How do I want to move forward? Um, for some things, it's definitely too late already. Um, you know, we all have a budget, and we all have to figure that out. But like, think about what's going to matter. Figure out what you're going to want to own in ten and twenty years and start collecting those cards now. That's my advice. All right, guys, great episode today. You guys are the best. Hope you've enjoyed it. Make sure you share. Make sure you like. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you do all those things. Uh, the more viewers or more listeners that we have, obviously, uh, the more that will mean in terms of like sponsorship and those types of things. I want to keep doing it every week. It's a lot of work, but, um, guys, I'm so busy right now. Between the, the content that I'm doing on Instagram and the magazine and the podcast, I just... Like life is life is crazy busy in the card world right now. I'm not complaining. I love it, but I'm trying to carve out my niche, 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 niche. Trying to carve that out and um, and find a place that is is fun for me in the world of cards. Working here full time, it's going pretty well. But um, could use any help that you guys have on that. As always, thank you for listening, uh, and thank you for all you guys do. Hope you guys enjoyed this uh, episode. And until next time, happy collecting. Thanks for listening to the Basketball Card Podcast. Reminder to subscribe to Basketball Card Fanatic Magazine at bcfmag.com. Remember to use discount code BASKETBALL10 for 10% off any item in the store. That's bcfmag.com.